Well, a preacher paid a visit to a farmer and asked, if you had $200, would you give $100 to the Lord? Sure would, said the farmer. If you had two cows, would you give one of them to the Lord? Of course I would, said the farmer. The preacher says, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? The farmer replied, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> From our earliest childhood, as you could, if you could see those kids' faces, they were thinking about that children's sermon this morning. From our earliest childhood, possessions and money are important to us. While a toddler's favorite word is no, a toddler's fav second favorite word is mine, exactly, mine. So all along with, through our lives, when someone tries to tell us what to do with our money or possessions, we want to say, mind your own business. You'll think that about me when we start talking up next year's budget. <laughs> Watch it, preacher. You're not going to change my mind about how much I give. Mind your own business. Lucky for us, it's not that time yet. <laughs> but, yeah, yet. You heard that. Well, what I was thinking of is there are some times we have to admit when we really wouldn't mind saying to Jesus, mind your own business. We say that a little defensively sometimes. And today's gospel passage may elicit that response in us because Jesus is talking about money and possessions. Back in chapter 9 of Luke's gospel, he is telling us that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. So as Jesus is taking these steps toward his death, he is teaching his disciples how they need to live after he's gone, after he's no longer with them. Now, parents do this. If you think about it, if you've been a parent, maybe you know, you try to train your kids to use money wisely, responsibly. Don't go and blow it. One set of parents gave their child um, $2.50 in an allowance and the child always got it in quarters so that she could take it and put one-tenth, a tithe, in the offering plate. So that's one way that they did that. Other responsible parents would, offer, would open a savings account or a checking account. They'd teach their children how to save and how to write checks and how to balance a checkbook. So Jesus is teaching his children of light, as he calls them, and us, how to be responsible with not only their money, but all they possess. But we're good Baptists, and so we have to question. We have to question, especially this parable, because it seems like the dishonest manager wanted to add a chapter to the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Cheat your boss who has fired you but not yet told his clients. Make those debtors happy by reducing their debt by 20 or even 50%. Then they will take care of you when you're out on the street. So 
The lesson we could take from this is that Jesus is telling us to be dishonest with people. You think that's what he meant? Lord, I hope not. Lord. No, this is a parable. Parables are exaggerations meant to prove a point. We need to zoom out to the broad perspective. And when we do, we see a person, you're going to hate this, Wayne especially, a person who carpes the diem. You know, you've seen that phrase on mugs and t-shirts and bosses' desks, carpe diem. It's Latin for seize the day. Yeah, seize the day. So this is what our dishonest steward is doing. Seize the day. Seize even the moment in this case. The steward faces an urgent dilemma, and he makes the most out of it. Scholar Alan Culpepper suggests that Jesus' parable turns on the steward's shrewd response to the urgency of his situation and therefore invites hearers, us, to understand that they, or we, are likewise in the midst of a crisis that demands an urgent decision if disaster is to be avoided. He continues, faced with loss of his position, the dishonest steward acted decisively to provide for his future. One who hears the gospel, the, the gospel of salvation, knows that just such a decisive act is required of those who will stake their all on the coming kingdom of God. Now, as we have installed deacons today, let this not only be a charge to our deacons, but to all of us. Because all of us at times are faced with urgent dilemmas when a good decision will have far-reaching effects. I see at least three lessons that we can take from this parable of Jesus. One is that we often have the choice of showing grace or showing judgment. We hear someone tell a joke with an ethnic slur. Do we laugh? Our friends are making fun of someone. Do we join in? Someone ruined a cherished gift that was on your desk. How do you respond? In Jesus' parable, the one with power chooses grace. So which do you choose most often, grace or judgment? And which do you believe God chooses? Churches have this same choice, the same, ones that we, the same one that we do every day, to show grace or to show judgment. And I hope that we can be a church that shows grace, that will say, for instance, if something gets broken, not just a crayon, but something more precious to us, we can say, don't worry about it. Everything we have is God's. It wasn't ours to begin with. Grace or judgment? God or money? Culpepper says the choice of having no master is not an option. 
We can only choose the Lord we will serve. A second lesson we can find in this parable is that the steward replaces the importance of money with relationships. Professor Mary Schertz says the steward translates economic realities into relational realities. Whatever the outcome, he has created good relations with a variety of people. It is his resourcefulness and his realization that friends are more important than money that finally commends the steward to the consideration of the disciples. For the church, that means we don't let petty disputes get in the way of our relationships. While we'll always disagree with others in the church, always, it's important to measure the value of the issue with the value of relationships. A third lesson is that Jesus calls us to use whatever is at our disposal to help other people. Soon after the April 16th tragedy, a man from Richmond called Virginia Tech and offered them the use of his personal jet. That jet transported victims' families as well as tech administrators to distant funerals. Now this man happened to have money at his disposal. So he used it. He was a faithful steward. So what do we have at our disposal? That's another question that this passage asks. Fred Craddock comments on this passage and writes, most of us will not this week christen a ship, write a book, end a war, appoint a cabinet, dine with a queen, convert a nation, or be burned at the stake. More likely, the week will present no more than a chance to give a cup of water, write a note, visit a nursing home, vote for a county commissioner, teach a Sunday school class, share a meal, tell a child a story, go to choir practice, and feed the neighbor's cat. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. As a church, we try to be faithful in worship, prayer, music, Bible study, and service. That's what's on our bulletin. As we are faithful in a little, God will give us opportunities to be faithful in much. Carpe diem. Let's seize the day. May we pray? Speak to us, O God. Remind us of all the gifts that you have given to us and help us to be willing to share, knowing that all we have comes from you. We pray in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.